This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. More people are being diagnosed with eating disorders every year, and the problem is showing up much earlier with younger and younger children manifesting this disease, prompting much discussion and concern about what can be done to treat this problem. Here with more on all of this is Kathleen Dieters-Hayes. She's a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. She is also a licensed clinical social worker and therapist who directs Upstate's Eating Disorders Program. Welcome, Kathleen. Thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. So I guess it's showing up earlier, and it's not just limited to girls and young women. Right. People of all ages have eating disorders, and that includes boys and males at all ages. Um, we're, we used to just treat women and focus mostly on adolescent girls, and now the field has become much more aware that people of um, both genders as well as all ages are uh, coming up with symptoms of eating disorders. Let's start by trying to define what is an eating disorder, and then I want to okay. get a sense of your feeling as to what may be contributing to some of this. Okay. But what exactly is an eating disorder in your in your parlance? Well, there are three different kinds of eating disorders, if we get sort of <clears throat> clear and simplistic. Um, anorexia nervosa, which can occur at all ages, bulimia nervosa, which also can occur at all ages, and what's now um, being defined as binge eating disorder. We used to call it compulsive overeating, but um, we now have a diagnosis of binge eating disorder, which of course is also both genders and all ages. But isn't it the fact that, that somehow a person with an eating disorder may have started out maybe just eating smaller amounts of food, but at some point the urge to eat less spirals out of control or the, or the reverse, the urge to eat more kind of spirals out of control. It's a kind of a loss of control of your it, eating yes, capability. Yes, it, it can be, absolutely, and going in, as you said, in both directions. Um, the thing that we, we've kind of come to realize is that people with an anxiety disorder, even if it's a low-level anxiety disorder, if they go on a diet, that can really then make them move into an eating disorder. It doesn't happen to everybody, but especially with anorexia, if you already have a little bit of obsessiveness or anxiety, getting going on a diet can really spiral into obsessing about food, what's in it, how much you're eating, calories, all those kinds of things. So let me just stop you for a moment. Let's just define those three that you mentioned. Okay. So anorexia nervosa is what? It is basically defined as being at 85% or lower of your normal body weight. For women or young girls, they lose their menstrual cycle. Um, it's, it's a distortion. If they look in the mirror, they see themselves as fat when they're really very underweight and some people look quite skeletal. So it, it causes them to eat less and less yes. and less or keep that mi very minimal amount of food intake yes. so they really lose massive amounts of weight. Absolutely, yes. And they don't see it yes, as accurately. Totally, yes, absolutely. Okay, so bulimia, how is that different? Bulimia is usually occurs with people who are at a normal weight. They feel kind of like they're, uh, they want to lose weight but they can't seem to, thank heaven, sustain um, more of an anorexic position. So they tend to binge on food and then they do something um, that we refer to as purging, which can be vomiting the food. It can also mean um, taking too many laxatives. Some people take diuretics. Some people purge through exercising. All of those things are considered a purge. 
but there has to be that kind of binging on food and then somehow getting rid of it. So that constitutes bulimia. Mm -hmm. Now, binge eating disorder, and how is that different? Binge eating disorder doesn't have any of the purging. Um, You do not have, weirdly, you do not have to be obese to have binge eating disorder. Many, many people do, are obese, and do um, have obesity who have binge eating disorder. But it's really this um, intake of calories that has a sense of being out of control and that this happens on a pretty regular basis. The way that I think about it is that people are using food to try to somehow comfort themselves Mm -hmm. or manage themselves emotionally when they're in some kind of an emotional state that they can't handle or are uncomfortable with. So it's it's self-soothing, but they take in large amounts of food. And you're saying often that does lead to obesity because they're not purging it, as you mentioned. So after a while, if you're continuing to to develop that pattern you will gain weight you yes. will gain weight yes okay we don't you mentioned the fact that it often co-occurs with anxiety mm-hmm. depression some mm-hmm. kind of other issue yes even perhaps substance abuse absolutely problems. yes but do we know what causes it well no the answer really simply is no. There are a lot of different ideas about this. Uh, there's a lot of studying going on right now about genetics. If, if there's another family member who's had an eating disorder of any kind, there is a lot of evidence that there's a genetic predisposition for obesity itself. Um, and there is somewhat of a link to um, with anorexia with other family members who have had that. Um, it can be family dynamics. It can be as I said, a genetic piece. It can, um, it can be a sense of uh, not really figuring out as you're growing up who you are. But what strikes me is if it is growing, its prevalence is growing and it's cutting across Mm -hmm. uh, gender Mm -hmm. for one. Mm -hmm. It's, it seems like it's important to take a look at the cultural, you know, messages Mm -hmm. that are being, um, that, that we're living within, right. the culture with, within which we live right. m- must be playing some role here. I think it is. I, t- I try not to get too reductionistic about it because I think it's really easy to say, oh, it's the media. Or like, for example, in the year 2000, um, the island of Fiji got television for the first time and they had more of an explosion of eating disorders at that point. Now, I think it's too reductionistic to say, oh, it's the TV, you know, it's the media. Too simplistic. Yes, it is. But it has a role. And the messages that people get through magazines, through ads, through um, all kinds of uh, messages that they're getting externally make people who have a very low self-esteem question, am I okay? Do I look good? And the truth be told that even if you don't develop a full eating disorder, we know that these kinds of pressures exist across the board. Absolutely. So that the culture really, we, we've said this for a long time, especially when it comes to women, but now it's also spilling over into yes. men. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. it, I feel personally that it needs to be addressed on some level. Yes, absolutely. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that somebody would recognize? Mm-hmm. So... Some of the signs and symptoms are that somebody that you're with may um, kind of order food but then not eat much of it or play with it on their plate, or they will skip lunch, 
they'll if they take their lunch they'll uh, throw it away or they'll come home if they're a child they'll come home not having eaten it they'll get a little more secretive about food a lot of people who have binge eating disorder as well as bulimia eat in secret and parents will sometimes say they found all these wrappers um, in the garbage of all this candy that was consumed perhaps at night when everybody else is asleep if they go to the bathroom right after the meal is over on a regular basis they could be throwing up immediately after that um, and that happens in restaurants as well as at home um, I think if if a person children as well as adults start to look at everything they eat and look at the ingredients and the calories and are sort of starting to become really obsessive about oh I can only eat this I can't eat that or they're talking about fat all the time those are some signs that they could be moving into and what are some of the symptoms that we'd actually see that are Mm -hmm. manifestations I mean do you you obviously see in anorexia yes. a, a significant weight loss. Absolutely, yes. But are you also are there other things that you're seeing? In, I mean, potentially. I mean, obviously, I, I read somewhere you can have, as you said, problems with amenorrhea mm-hmm. with women. Yes, thinning of bones, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Right, the thinning of bones would not be something you could see, obviously, obviously. But you'd have to have a bone density scan. But I do have that done with patients who present because they could end up at a very young age with osteoporosis. So it's a big problem. Um, with anorexia, of course, it's you know people look fairly skeletal looking. They're um, malnourished. They sometimes have hair loss, and that'll be something that will send somebody in for treatment because they don't want to look that like they don't have any hair. Um, with bulimia, it's a lot more um, difficult to identify it. I try to train primary care physicians to when people, young people especially, come in and they're presenting with. Um, um, having problems with um, their esophagus or um, heartburn or something like that. They're fairly young. I mean, you can have heartburn at a young age, but drinking alcohol a lot and vomiting will cause a lot of heartburn. And if the primary care doesn't ask about that, they may miss the, the diagnosis. Um, people with bulimia also tend to have uh, not... not so many relationships. They're, they isolate a lot. Uh, they have a relationship with this eating disorder that becomes something that sort of stabilizes them. And because they have to be secretive about it, they don't always want to go out with friends and eat and hang out with them because they're afraid that they will have to leave and go throw up. So that's one of the things that I kind of look for with bulimia. Binge eating disorder, it's actually pretty easy to see it. Some people hide it, but weight gain as well as just kind of always at home wanting to be eating um, or making food the main priority of their life, um, you can kind of see that there's something going on with them. Now, I know that you mostly work with adults in terms of your therapy and the program that you're working on, but what would you suggest? What would you suggest to a parent, for example? Mm-hmm. What would they do if they suspected that a child of theirs mm-hmm. was manifesting an eating disorder? What's your recommendation? Then? This happens all the time. I get calls from parents. And that what I tell them, the first thing they should do is have the child uh, go to the primary care physician, have, them have a physical, tell the doctor that they think that there might be some eating disorder going on. And they need to have some lab work done because blood work shows almost everything. It'll show if they're malnourished. It'll show esophageal problems or, um, I'm sorry, heart problems. And so that's the very first thing. And then after they do that, 
they should get an evaluation with a therapist, and I'll give them referrals uh, to someone who works with younger kids. If it's somebody who's 18, I will see them, and then I tell them, I'll do an evaluation, I'll let you know if you can be managed on an outpatient basis or not, basically how bad is it, and then if I can, I'll see you. Um, if I can't, I'll help you to facilitate going to a higher level of care so that you can interrupt this as soon as possible, and then they can be discharged out of that program back to me. So let's let's talk about the different treatment options. Okay. So when you say, I'll see them, yes. what exactly are you engaged in? Just tell us about yes. it. It's weekly, for me, it's weekly therapy. Sessions are 50 minutes. I also... Um, require the patient to be seen all the time that they're seeing me, to be seeing a primary care physician, to be managing all of their medical issues that could come up. And if I think it's appropriate, which it is often throughout the treatment, I'll send them also to see a resident, um, I'm sorry, a nutritionist who can then help them kind of figure out what is normal eating, how do I manage my eating, that kind of thing. Lisa Thomas is a registered dietitian in town. She's really good and I use her quite a bit for that. So I see people weekly. I do also do a group twice a year for compulsive overeaters, binge eaters, and that is only for women. Um, I can talk more about that, but it is a really, I found it to be a really successful program, and women can really open up with each other and talk about what's going on with them. So let's talk about success. Yes. I mean, do certain types of therapeutic approaches seem more uh, powerful? I don't want to run out of mm -hmm. time. Sure. 50% of people respond to CBT, which is... Um, cognitive, cognitive behavioral yes, therapy. Yes. Cognitive and, behavioral therapy. And that is basically a whole form of therapy. Yes, it is. And what I do, though, is I do more what's called psychodynamic therapy. And what that is, is it's not just symptom relief. It's getting at the underlying issues, helping people to figure out what is going on with them that has made them use these symptoms to cope with life. So such as being having a history of being sexually abused, for example. They may have that history, and they're using bulimia to manage it, the memories and the feelings. A, that's a very specific um, uh, way of thinking about it, right. yes. But it doesn't have to be with all patients. How about medications? Do medications ever help, and are they useful? They, yes, they do. Uh, some people, um, Prozac is actually a medication that has um, been approved for showing that sometimes people lose the urge to purge. Um, that's the only medication that's been approved. However, if you have depression, you really need to be on a medication. Does insurance help or hurt at this point? It helps to a point, but almost all treatment is driven by insurance. So whatever kind of insurance you have, that's what you have to work with. Some places uh, do not cover any kind of residential program, which is a higher level of care, which I believe is the best a form At of least treatment. initially, yes. to get people started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically, availability of programs in this area. You've mentioned mm -hmm. yours. Yep. Are there others? And yep. it, I mean, are we kind of in a in a surfeit, or are we in a deficit? Well, there's definitely a deficit in the whole state of New York. Um, Center of Syracuse is one. Soulstone is one in Elmira. They also have an extension branch in Liverpool. I'm going to have to stop you there. Yeah, I okay. want to thank you so much for coming in. My, My guest pleasure. has been Kathleen Dieters-Hayes. She is a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University and a licensed clinical social worker and therapist. She's also directing the Upstate's Eating Disorders Program. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's Health Inc. on air.